talks about what life in his kingdom looks like. And specifically, what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus and be part of his kingdom while living in a world like this. And I think what we've seen time and time again is that is hard, isn't it? If you think about all the things that Jesus has said so far in this sermon, you realize that being a follower of Christ is not easy. And we're going to get way more into that next week. But just think about a few of the things he said so far. He said that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, they were the most righteous people on earth at the time, right? Or at least that's how they were perceived. And Jesus says, unless you're more righteous than them, you're not getting in. And not only that, he says, I know that you like to do things. I know that you like to participate in religious activities. But he reminds us that God cares far more about what's on the inside than he does about what's on the outside. Right? God cares about what's in your heart. And so Jesus had said things like, hey, you might be doing all sorts of good things. Good for you. The world might be praising you and thinking you're a great person. Good for you. You might be doing all of the right things. But he says, if you're doing all of the right things for the wrong reasons, you're no better than the hypocrites. That if you have sin in your heart, and you're motivated by a desire to have the praise of man rather than the praise of God, you're no better than the hypocrites. I mean, this is what Jesus has said time and time again. It's the hard way of kingdom living. And when you begin to truly consider what he has said, and you realize that he's actually serious about all that he has said, you start to ask yourself, how on earth can anyone possibly live like this? Right? Or is that just me? Am I the only one who struggles? How on earth can anyone possibly live like this? And Jesus reminds us, you're going to need some help. You're going to need some help. And and my question is, what happens in your life when you need help? You probably have a a go-to person, right? Uh, For some people, it could be a parent Uh, a mom, maybe a dad. It could be a spouse, could be a best friend. For some of you, it's your children at this point. You have a go-to person, the person that you're going to reach out to and call whenever you need something. And the reason that they're your go-to person is because they have proven themselves to be dependable and reliable, correct? That's the reason you call them. You know they're going to pick up. What's sad, I think, today is that for most Christians, God is not our go-to person. And I think the reason God is not the go-to person for most of us is because we have grown not to expect much of God. We pray and we pray and we pray and we feel like we get no answer. And so we say, why bother? We grow not to expect much of Him. You think, if a child is scared and he doesn't bother calling out for his father, it's because he doesn't expect his father to care, right? If a child is in trouble and he doesn't bother calling his father, it's because he doesn't expect his father to help. If if a child is in need and doesn't bother calling his father, it's because he doesn't expect his father to provide. You see, I want you to understand something this morning, church. Our expectation of someone is directly proportionate to our estimation of someone. And that's not a bullet point. You can write it down if you want to, but I just want you to understand that reality. Our expectation of someone is directly proportionate to our estimation of someone. And so if we as a people have grown not to expect much of God, what does that say about how we esteem God? Not very highly, right? 
we seem to have forgotten that God is not some far-off cosmic deity who doesn't care about his people and is far removed from his people. You're thinking more of the God of, of Islam. That is Allah that you're describing. But our God is our heavenly Father. He is not just some deity who brought everything into existence. He, if you are in Christ, is your heavenly Father who loves you and cares about you just as a father would. And so Jesus is saying here in this section, hey, if you're going to learn to live as a follower of of me in this world, you're going to need some help. And he says, I want to remind you that you have help at hand. You have a ready resource. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and cares about you and is ready to hear from you. See, Jesus is encouraging us in this section with this point. We should pray with expectancy because God is a Father who gives generously. Now, you won't hear that a lot in church today because, again, we haven't, we've grown not to expect much of God. But the Bible teaches that we should pray with expectancy. Not just pray because we're supposed to or because that's what the preacher says to do. Pray with expectancy. Why? Because your Father is good and He loves to give generously. Now, here's the thing, though. If that's true, you might be thinking then, well, well Pastor, why aren't more people praying? Right? If it's true that we have a father who's ready to help and who wants to give generously, then then here's the question to consider. What keeps the people of God today from being a people of persistent prayer? Why are we not always in prayer? What keeps us from being a people of persistent prayer? In other words, you might be wondering, why aren't my prayers working, pastor? And that's what Jesus is going to address this morning. Look with me at verses 7 through 8. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, you have to keep in mind, this is not the first time that Jesus has spoken about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, is it? In fact, it's been one of his main talking points throughout the sermon. You'll remember, he told us how not to pray earlier right? He said, hey, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. What did the hypocrites do? They loved to be out in public places, and they'd raise their hands. Can't really raise this arm if you're here Wednesday, you know why. But they loved to pray in public places, raise their hands, and they would just pray these long prayers, loud prayers, extravagant prayers. Why? So that people would see them, and they'd think, oh, he's special. He's holy. He's righteous. He's good. They were doing it all for the praise of man, not to actually commune with God. So Jesus says, don't pray like this. He also said, don't pray like the Gentiles do. What did the Gentiles do? The Gentiles would pray these long, drawn-out prayers because they thought if they just kept adding on words, then surely God would hear them. And so they were praying in this way, and Jesus says, don't pray like that. So he tells us how not to pray, but then do you remember, he actually does tell us how to pray. These wonderful words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is how Jesus taught us 
to pray. But you have to understand, that was meant to be a model prayer. Jesus did not expect us to pray those exact words every single time that we pray. It was a model prayer. He was saying that our prayers should be modeled after that one. So our prayers should be God-glorifying. Hallowed be your name. Our prayers should be God-centered. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Our, our prayers should be kingdom-focused. It's all about on God's plans and God's kingdom and what He's doing here on earth, not us. And our prayers should be need-driven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us daily forgive us. Don't, uh, our guidance. Give us a, not, don't lead us into temptation. These are the things that Jesus says we should pray for. And so you have to keep in mind, when Jesus has said all of this about prayer so far... When he now gets to this section and he says, ask, seek, and knock, we have to keep everything else in mind, don't we? We have to bring all of that with us to this section when he says, ask, seek, and knock. And he he gives us this great encouragement. He says, not just to ask, seek, and knock. He says, everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now that's amazing, is it not? You might be a little over-familiar with those words, and, and so it might not stun you as much, but Jesus is literally saying, you pray, and you're going to get an answer. You seek, and you're going to find. You knock, and it's going to be open to you. That's wonderful, is it not? You, you would think, with, given such a great statement like that, that we would be a people who pray without ceasing, as God calls us to do in His Word. And yet, let me tell you something, there was a survey conducted last year that found that over half of American Christians do not pray daily. Over half of American Christians do not pray daily. What's even more alarming, men, is that the same survey found that 67% of Christian men in America either never pray or seldom pray. And then we wonder why the church is in the state that it's in today. When men whom God has called to be the leaders of their household and be spiritual leaders in the house and in the church are not even praying to the one who provides them with the power and the ability to do so. That's another sermon. Can't preach it today, but it's coming. So, we ask that question again then. If this is true, what Jesus is saying, and he does not lie, why aren't we a people of persistent prayer? And I think one of the main reasons that Our prayers aren't working today is because we're praying with the wrong motives. You see, God wants us to pray ambitiously, not selfishly. That's what He's telling us to do here. He wants us to pray ambitiously, not selfishly. And and if that's the case, then we need to address a few misunderstandings about prayer today and a few wrong motives for praying today. Like first and foremost, let me tell you, prayer is not a blank check. Did you hear me on that? Prayer is not a blank check. You see, that's the way many people view these verses here. They see Jesus say, all I have to do is ask. All I have to do is seek. All I have to do is knock and it'll be given to me. And so I can go to God and I can ask him for literally whatever I want. And he has to give it to me because that's what his word says here. A lot of people think that way about prayer. I used to think that way about prayer before I was a Christian. I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, I knew the Bible pretty well, went to church every Sunday. And I remember when I was not a Christian, the thing that I wanted more than anything growing up was a dirt bike. And I never got it. 
It's okay, Mom. It's all right. I never got that dirt bike, but I remember, distinctly remember, laying in bed at night and praying, God, please give me a dirt bike. And I fully expected that in the coming days I would get one because I had read this verse that said, all you have to do is ask and it'll be given to you. So I thought, this is great. I'm getting a dirt bike. Never got that dirt bike. Why? Because prayer is not a blank check. Understand this, folks. God is under absolutely no obligation whatsoever to give you absolutely anything you ask for in prayer. That's not how he works. He's not a magic eight ball. He's not some genie that you can just make a wish and it'll be granted. That is not how God works. And I wish that I could preach this message to all the prosperity churches today because they are building entire ministries upon a heresy that relates to that sort of thinking in these verses. There are prosperity preachers today that say all you have to do is name it and claim it. Do you know where that comes from? In part from this verse. Ask and you will receive. They just make it rhyme. Name it and then claim it. It's as good as yours. All you have to do is name it. And because God says he will give it to you, you can claim it. And they're building entire ministries around this heresy by twisting scripture. And they're convincing people to pour all of their life savings into their ministry now. And they're ruining their lives here. And they're leading them straight to hell. They've got a bunch of people who think that they're going to heaven because they bought into this heresy, when in reality, on Judgment Day, they are going to be absolutely terrified and surprised to find out that they were never on the narrow path to begin with. It's because they bought into this heresy that all you have to do is name it and claim it. And it is a heresy. People are following people like Joel Osteen, Paula White, Todd White, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo, Dollar, T.D. Jakes, I could go on and on. That's another sermon. Don't have time for that one today either. But the point is, people are following these teachers. And they're following a heresy. Because when you pray like that, it has very little to do with God and almost everything to do with you, doesn't it? I know for a fact that, that God will not answer these type of prayers where you think you could just pray anything you want and he will give them to you. And the reason I know that is because Jesus has already told us how to pray. Hasn't he, church? He said our prayers should be God-glorifying, God-centered, kingdom-focused, and need-driven. So let me ask you this. Does a name-it-and-claim-it theology glorify God at all? No. Does a, does a name-it-and-claim-it theology center on God? Is it kingdom-focused? Is it need-driven? No, it's entirely selfish. It has to do with me, myself, and I. I want you to listen to me. God will not grant a prayer in which you increase and He decreases. You want to know why your prayers aren't working today? Look at your prayer life and ask yourself those questions. Am I praying prayers in which I would increase and God would decrease? And the reason God won't answer those type of prayers is because he's too good of a father to answer those type of prayers. He will not grant prayers that will end up causing harm to the spiritual lives of his children because he loves us too much for that. He knows what's best for us because he is a good father. Even if it seems like at the time we think he doesn't know what he's doing or we think he's being mean. It's kind of like my own son blessed kid that he is, a three-year-old, infinitely curious, 
The other day we were playing outside and he saw a dead bird out in front of our steps. What do you think my curious son wanted to do with the dead bird? Go and pick it up, of course. I mean, our cats had really decimated this thing. And so Judah runs over and he's like about to read. I'm like, no, 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 Judah, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't touch it. He's like, why? I'm like, because it's dead. He's like, I'm just going to pick it up. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going to pick it up. It's dead. He's like, but why? I'm like, it's got germs on it. It's got bacteria. You could be infected with something. We don't know. He's like, but I'm just going to pick it up. I'm like, no, actually, you're not going to pick it up. I'm not going to do that, like let you do that. And he got really upset with me and, you know, like started whining and stuff. He was thinking, I'm keeping him from something good. He saw something he wanted. Daddy was depriving him of it. I'm the worst person in the world because of it. When in reality, I wasn't letting him touch and play with a dead bird because I love him. Because I know what's best for him. I know the harm that could come from that. And I want you to understand that when you're praying and you feel like God is not giving you an answer, or when you feel like God is telling you no, I know you have a tendency to think, why are you doing this, God? I've prayed for this thing. Why would you tell me no? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? And we tend to think that he is a mean, vengeful, hateful God when he doesn't give us what we want. And I want you to understand that God's no's come from a place of love. They don't come from a place of hatred. They don't come from him being a tyrant or anything like that. God's no's come from a place of love. It's because he knows what's best for us. He knows what will spoil us. He knows what will ruin us. And he will not give us what we ask for if it comes from a place of selfishness and would actually hinder our walk with him. God does want what's best for you, and you just have to trust that he knows what that is better than you do. Amen? Because how many times have you prayed for something, church, where in the moment you thought, this is exactly what I want, this is what I need, and then you didn't get that thing, and then years later you look back and you go, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Praise God for that. I am so thankful you didn't answer that prayer. At the time you didn't feel that way, right? But years later, with hindsight, you realize God actually does know what he's doing. So he doesn't want you to pray selfishly. But listen to me. Here's the encouragement. He does want you to pray ambitiously. He wants his people to be a people who aren't afraid to pray big, bold, ambitious prayers. I wish the church today would pray these type of prayers again. When I think of big, bold, ambitious prayers, I think of our our missionary partners, Mike and Cindy Perry. I love talking with them. I could, I could listen to them talk for hours and hours. I mean, Joseph and I, when we met with them, we had such a good time. Because they were telling us about all the ways they had prayed these big, bold prayers, and God had just answered. And it was amazing. Mike said when they were uh, going to start this ministry, and they were going to start you know, funding schools in, in uh, Uganda, in these Christian schools, and they were going to supply them with needs, they were going to start them up. They had a ministry in Alabama. They said, God, if we're going to do this like you've called us to do, we're going to need a warehouse. And so they sat down, they worked up a budget, and they realized, all right, here's our number. We've got to find a warehouse within that budget. Well, they looked and looked and looked, couldn't find anything at all. So one day, Mike was playing golf with his buddy. And they were just talking, shooting the breeze, and his buddy was asking about the ministry. And he said, well, you know, we're kind of at a standstill right now because we need to find a warehouse, can't find anything in our budget. And his buddy said, oh, I'm selling my warehouse. He said, well, okay, what are you selling it for? Buddy told him the price. He said, well, it's out of our budget. He said, what's your budget? Mike told him the budget. He said, yeah, I'll sell it to you for that. And so there they had a warehouse, just like that, 
from just praying and the Lord providing. But then the buddy goes, oh, by the way, hope this doesn't bother you. Uh, There's a section of the warehouse that has some like radio broadcasting equipment that radio stations use. Don't worry about that. Um, They actually pay you for that. So they ended up with a warehouse that makes them money because radio stations use their equipment. God has a a, a funny way of providing in, in things like that. And so God provided them a warehouse. You think that's a big prayer. But Mike said, okay, Lord, I see what you're doing here. If you really want us to do this, you've provided us with a warehouse, but if we're going to fund all these Christian schools, we're going to supply them with uh, their stuff, we're going to need supplies, and if we have supplies, we're going to need power equipment. We're going to have to find a way to move all our stuff. And he said, let's not even look this time. Let's just pray and ask God to send us power equipment. And so they start doing that. They'd been praying for a while, and one day they were talking with one of their friends over the phone, and the friend informed Mike and Cindy that, they were, that she was going to be selling her business, which included a warehouse and all the stuff in it. And Mike said, oh, we, we actually need the equipment. Can we buy it from you? And she said, absolutely not. I'll give it to you. And so they, she provided them with all of the forklifts, all the reach tr- uh, trucks, all the power equipment. And she said, you can even have the shelving in there. And so now they had a warehouse with all the equipment and all the shelving. And then they said, okay, God, we see what you're doing. But now we need the supplies. You've called us to start these Christian schools. We need supplies to send to them. So, Lord, would you send us churches who would supply us with the, need, the things we need to send to these schools? And so they were visiting easily one day. And they decided to come and visit a church they had never been to before called George's Creek Baptist Church. And I was able to meet Mike and Cindy. Joseph and I went and uh, had coffee with them. And as they were talking about this, they mentioned the school supplies. And wouldn't you know, they just happened to stop by the one church in the area that has a backpack ministry that uses these backpacks every year to provide for schools in need who don't have the things that they need. And so we were able to connect with them. We were able to answer that prayer for them. And we were able to take the school supplies that we raised here and send them to single-handedly supply the first ever secondary Christian school in Uganda, Africa, because some people who believe that God still answers prayers, we're not afraid to pray big, bold, ambitious prayers. I mean, what a God we serve, right? We do not expect too much of God. We expect too little of Him. He wants us to be a people who pray these big, bold, ambitious prayers. You can pray these prayers, church, because our God is big enough to answer them. I like the way one, one man said it. He said, God has never heard a prayer request that has intimidated him. That's good, isn't it? I want you to think about that when you're praying. You might be afraid to ask for something, pray for something, because say, God, they're too far gone. God, I I know this is a big request. You're not going to intimidate him. Our God is infinite. No request is too big for him, so you can pray ambitiously because you have a Father who loves to give generously. You might be wondering why your prayers aren't working. I think there's another reason here. It's because we need persistence, church. Do you see that here? Look at these verses again. In in verse 7, Jesus says to ask, seek, and knock. And what's interesting is in the Greek, these words are written in a tense that is continual. It's present. And so it's better translated, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Why? Because the next verse says... For the one who does these things, who does what? Who keeps on asking, who keeps on seeking, who keeps on knocking. The one who prays persistently, it'll be given. You'll find. It'll be open to you. 
He's encouraging us to be a people of persistent prayer. I mean, Jesus taught on this often. You remember the parable He told in Luke 18 of the persistent widow. Uh, The Bible says, And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Seems like God actually cares about this, right? He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to Him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? You see, in other words, Jesus is saying, if an unloving judge who cared nothing for God was willing to grant the request of a woman who kept coming to Him persistently asking for justice, how much more will God, who is a loving Father, grant the request of those who continue to pray without losing heart? Of course he's more likely to do that. Of course he will. Let me ask you another question you might not have thought about before. Why did the widow keep praying for justice? She had gone to this same judge time and time and time again. And every time she went, what did she hear? No. And yet, she kept coming and she kept asking, why? Why didn't she give up? It's because the thing that she wanted more than anything else on earth was justice, wasn't it? If you don't know why your prayers aren't working, maybe it's because you're giving up too soon. You see, I want us to understand this morning, our dedication to prayer is equivalent to our desire for the request. Our dedication to prayer is equivalent to our desire for the request. I remember when Anna was pregnant with Judah and we had gone for one of his scans, they found that he had two spots on his brain and one spot on his heart. And the doctor said it could potentially mean something very bad, but we don't know yet. And we're not going to know for another eight weeks, which is the soonest we can do another scan. Now, anyone in this room who knows me knows that I was totally cool with that because I don't get worried about anything ever or overthink. (laughs) No, of course, it was like the worst, yeah, okay. It was like the worst news in the world for me because I overthink everything. I want answers immediately. Anyone else like me like that? You want answers immediately? I hate not knowing things. I hate surprises because now I know there's something that I don't know and I wish I did know the thing and you're not going to tell me the thing until your timing. So I don't like surprises. Don't surprise me. But anywho, all right, I had heard this news eight weeks soon as we can get back and I was terrified. I thought we were going to lose our first child. And I was heartbroken. And there was nothing I could do. And so every single day for eight weeks, I prayed, God, when we go back, please let those scans be clean. Every single day. And I tell you that not to say, oh, Alex is super holy and righteous, because I promise you I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by grace just like the rest of y'all. The reason I didn't miss a single day praying that prayer is because there was nothing else I wanted on earth during that time more than for my son to be okay. 
It was the deepest desire of my heart, so I was dedicated to that prayer. And listen to me, I know that we have people here this morning who have been praying for a very long time, right? We have some people in here this morning who have been praying certain prayers for a very, very long time. We have some people here who have been praying for the salvation of a family member. They want their child to come to Christ. They want their, their, their grandchildren to come to faith in Christ. They've been praying and praying and still no answer. We have people in here who have been praying that their spouse would commit themselves to Christ and be the spiritual leader that God calls them to be. We have people who have been praying in here for reconciliation in a relationship. They want reconciliation to happen. They want peace to happen. They've been praying this prayer for so long. And here's what I know. Many of you have given up on that prayer, haven't you? Because it's been so long and you've received no answer. Many of you are on the verge of giving up. You think, how much more, God? How many more times do I have to come and bring this same request before you will answer me? It could be any number of things, but my question for you this morning is this. How badly do you want it? How much do you want that request? And is that reflected in your prayer life? Are you dedicated to praying for it daily? You see, I know that when we pray for something, we want an answer immediately, don't we, church? We expect God to grant that request the very next day. And that's just not how He works most of the time. My mom, I know for a fact, prayed for 18 years for my salvation before the Lord answered her. I might have given up. But she prayed for 18 years for my salvation and never stopped because she believed that God would eventually answer that prayer. And praise God that she did never stop. I want us to understand that oftentimes we mistake God's silence for a no when it's really just a not yet. You might know that God is silent in your life and you're thinking that's a no. He's turning me away. When reality, oftentimes it's just a not yet. It's because God is a Father who knows what's best for us, church. He knows what we need and He knows when we need it. His timing is perfect. If we say that we truly want something but we give up when God doesn't come through in our timeline, can we say that we even really wanted that thing at all? If your request is truly the deepest desire of your heart, then commit yourself to persistent prayer and trust God to work it out in His timing because you can trust Him. He's a good Father who loves you and knows what's best for you. If your prayers aren't working, maybe you're giving up too soon. One final reason I think our prayers aren't working, we see that in verses 9-11. through Jesus says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, initially, you might be confused by this. You're like, okay, I was tracking with you, Jesus, all this stuff about prayer. We can ask God. He's going to answer our prayers. That's good. Why all this stuff about bread and stones and fish and snakes? That's a good question. And when you find yourself confused by something like that in the Bible, it's probably because it has something to do with the historical cultural context, right? There's probably something that was familiar to his original audience that we're not familiar with today. So, for instance, Jesus says, hey, if you're praying for bread, God's not going to give you a stone. The reason he would say something like that is because one of the most common forms of bread in that time looked like this. 
if we can get the picture up there. Looks like a big old stone, doesn't it? You saw that from a distance. If it was seated around other stones, you would be very confused if that's bread or if that's a stone. And so Jesus says, hey, if you're praying for bread, God's not going to give you a stone. Well, one of the most common forms of fish in Jesus' day looked like this. Kind of looks like a snake, right? If you look at the head of that thing, maybe you didn't see the, the little flappers on the side there. I, I would think it's a snake. If Anna saw that coming out of the water, she would walk on water, just like Jesus did. So, <laughs> run on water. So Jesus says, hey, if you're praying for fish, God's not going to give you a snake. What is he saying here? He's saying that your father knows the difference between bread and a stone, fish and snakes. The question is, do you? I think one of the main reasons our prayers don't work today is because we have a tendency to settle for less than God's best. We have a tendency to settle for less than God's best. In other words, when you have been praying for something for so long and you want it so badly, whenever something comes into your life that even slightly resembles the thing that you prayed for, how quick are you to go to that thing and say, praise the Lord, he's answered my prayer. And we end up settling for cheap imitations rather than the thing that God actually wants to give us. See, there are some young ladies today who have been praying that the Lord would send them a man. They want a spouse. They want to be married. They want to start a family. They want to have children. And so they have been praying time and time again, Lord, would you send me someone? Would you send me the man that I'm supposed to marry? Send me a good man. Send me, and they have their list, right? And what happens? What do you know? A new man comes along. And he seemed real great at first, didn't he? Seemed like a real catch, didn't he? But he ends up being a snake. You pray the prayer, you ask for something, and then when the first imitation that comes along, the thing that looks like it comes along, you jump on it, and you end up settling for less than God wants for you. Uh, it's not just the ladies, by the way. Men make this mistake all the time. Men will pray, Lord, send me a job. I need a way to make money. I need a way to provide for my family. And then what do you know? A new opportunity comes up, and it seems like it's going to be awesome, right? You found a way to be a real breadwinner, so you sink all your money into it, and then you hit rock bottom. When things like that happen, we have a tendency to blame God, don't we? Why, why, God? Why would you send this? Lord, I prayed for you to send me a spouse. Why would you send me this person? I prayed for a way to provide for my family. Why would you send me this job? Lord, why would you answer my prayer in this way? We have a tendency to think that he's mean or cruel, that he's done something wrong, when in reality, folks, the problem is with us, is it not? The problem is with our sinful, wicked hearts. We are too easily satisfied today. C.S. Lewis said this great. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum." because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
Which is why something that we say here often at our church is that God wants more for you. And so do we. Our Father won't give His children stones when we ask for bread. Our Father won't give His children snakes when we ask for fish. He knows the difference between them. Church, the question is, do you? Jesus wants us to be a people who pray persistently and ambitiously. And in order to get you to pray persistently and ambitiously, God knows that He has to break your tendency to not expect much of Him. He has to completely change how you view Him. And Jesus is inviting us this morning. Listen to me here. This is why we read that section from Romans. Jesus is inviting us this morning to make the most of the status that He has given us as sons and daughters of the living God. That we can go to Him boldly and confidently because of what Jesus has done for us. We can approach the throne of grace in that way. You have an open invitation to your Father's throne. How could you not go? Jesus says, make the most of your status as a child of God today. He says, stop saying these half-hearted prayers, offering them up simply out of routine or habit, simply because it's before a meal or because it's before bed. He says, pray ambitiously. See what I can do. Our Father can do far more than we even think or imagine. I mean, you pray for a warehouse, God can send you a warehouse. Nothing is beyond Him. No prayer is too big for Him. He can handle it. So pray ambitiously and pray boldly, George's Creek. Pray expectantly, knowing that your Father loves you and cares about you and wants to provide you with the things that you need. He's a good Father like that. And He says, finally, don't settle for these cheap imitations. The first thing that comes along that looks like what you prayed for, you better question it. It might not be from God. Don't settle for a snake when you prayed for a fish. Don't settle for a stone when you prayed for bread. God wants more for you. Do you believe that this morning, George's Creek? He is a good father who is too good to ignore his children. Let's pray.